Let's pray. Father, open your word to our hearts. And Father, as we ponder your word in the week and the time, in the time ahead of us, give us wisdom to apply your word. I'm often asked why I went into ministry, why I went to Bible college, which is a good question. I'm never sure if I really know the answer. But the easiest way to give the answer is I once, when I was a young man, I once heard a guy speaking and he said something along the lines of the worst sin you can do is to make the Bible sound boring. And I felt that at times that in my church life I was feeling that the Bible was sounding boring quite a lot. And I thought maybe I could be part of not being that. And so I had this sense of call to teach God's word and to show Christians that the Bible was indeed not boring but the word of life and a powerful, powerful message. Now, whether I do that or not is another question, but so it is that week after week I put a lot of effort and time into trying to teach the Bible, which I believe is the word of God, and show that it is the word of life, that God has spoken. And so when I speak like I am now, what I'm really wanting to do by God is say what God says, not so much what I say. So on the whole, as a generalisation, I tend to avoid contemporary issues and contemporary news events and speaking into contemporary things of culture. I know people often say, why don't you talk about this is really, really big at the moment? I'm thinking, I just want to teach the Bible. So, for instance, the Da Vinci Code was a big thing and people were saying in some of the circles that I moved in, you've got to tell people about the Da Vinci Code. You've got to rebut it. You've got to tell them the truth. The Da Vinci Code's taking over so much. You've got to do a vent. And I'm thinking, it's going to pass. And I feel now vindicated. Um, so we never did a Da Vinci Code series. But the, actually the second reason, so, so these things, things, things come and go. So you don't want to, I don't feel like I always want to be teach, teaching the latest thing. But the second reason is most of the events that cause a lot of furor are complex. And to get your head around it, we all get our bits and pieces of information from the media or forever or from our gut or from our friends. To speak on it publicly, I really want to know what I'm talking about. I want to get a breadth of effort. And that's a lot of work. And frankly, I'd rather put the work into seeing what God says in the Bible and just teach that. Not that it's a wrong thing to do. It's just hard. I don't want to be sharing my ignorance with you. So this week, the Israel flower controversy blew up even bigger. In case you are under a rock, you've been living under a rock, Israel Folau is a, probably Australia's best rugby player. I think that's almost in, incontrovertible, actually. He posted in Instagram online a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 10, which states that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then it lists a whole pile of people who could be considered the wicked. Slanderers. Idolaters, those who serve idols, those who slander people, thieves, liars, drunkards, 
and homosexual offenders. Flower said there is salvation only in Jesus. Now his post may have looked visually, I found it not the most sensitive post. Maybe the timing wasn't the best, but he was expressing his conviction as a free citizen. And the great offence of his post, the thing that really caused it to blow up, was not the liars or the slanderers. The great offence was that the quote suggests, it more than suggests, that homosexual practice is sin, that it's offensive to God, that it's a perversion of God's good character and purposes, just like drunkenness is, just like slander is. That was the thing that people really took offence to. The media responded in outrage. Folau's rugby contract with Rugby Australia as their highest paid player, because he was their best player, was torn up. He lost his job. He's been vilified and impugned mercilessly. This week he tried to raise funds for legal action, feeling I should and just accept this dismissal, because I think it's unjust. And therefore, it could get, because it's such a hot topic, it could go very high legally. Enormous amount of funds were raised, which just respond, resulted in an even stronger reaction from most elements of the media. Most of the voices we hear. He was called a greedy pig, a grub, a liar, a bigot. It is not short to say that there was nothing but consistent expressions of hatred from many in public life and particularly from many media writers. Hatred. We hate Israel Folau. The bigot, the grub, the greedy pig. Now, John, it's just another issue that goes through the world. I know it impacts Christian life, but it's just maybe another one of these blips that makes me sad. But this Sunday, I just want to teach the Bible. And so we come to John 15, 17 to 64, and oh my goodness. I have my sermon illustration handed to me, gift-wrapped. In Israel Folau. I'm in a series, You and Me and Jesus. What's it like for us to be in community with Jesus? It started off by Jesus in this passage in John 15 saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, remain in me. My Father is the gardener. And then Jesus went on to describe what the vine should be like. And it's actually a love vine. It's, it's the branches in love with Jesus in love and the Father. And it's all united in love. And then John, verse 17 is really a summary verse. And it's also a transitional verse to Jesus' next point to his disciples. This is my command in the vine. Love each other. Love, love, love. And then this stark contrast of love and hate. Next verse 18. If the world hates you, 
Keep in mind, says Jesus, it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now, the world in John's Gospel, it's a consistent phrase on most of its usage. It's the, it's the created order, particularly humans and human affairs, in rebellion against the Creator. Active rebellion. Resisting God the Creator. And the world, we are told, will hate the vine. The community of God's people in Jesus. Because they hated Jesus. So if we are to follow Jesus, if we are to belong and find our place in the family of God, to use our theme, be part of this vine, then it means we belong to another kingdom, another world, with different values because we call upon a different Lord. And therefore we don't belong in the world as John saw the world in active rebellion against God. And we will therefore be hated. Is that too strong to say hate? Hate's a strong word. Not everybody who doesn't follow Jesus hates all the time. Of course people can be loved. We're all wired to love. But we're all inclined to be absorbed in self-created gods, to be idolaters. Whether it be cars or career or whatever. We're all inclined to be absorbed in self. And putting ourselves first and doing what I want. And so if someone comes along and says, hold it, Jesus is Lord, not you, Jesus is Lord. He sets the rules. You must submit to him and you're in active rebellion against God. You're a sinner. That's where the real problem becomes. To tell someone they're a sinner, why do people not... The biggest barrier I've found to people coming to know and accept Jesus as Lord is they hate being told that they're a sinner. And I cannot accept that. That I'm at enmity with God. And you're facing judgment because you're not God's friend, you're God's enemy because of your sin. That's... Deeply offensive. And the response so often is to hate the message and hate the messenger. It is so deeply offensive to tell me that I'm not king and I'm not okay and that I do things that displease the Creator. And so it has been this week, but it's been happening for a very long time 40 years ago the biblical commentator don carson wrote a book on this passage of the of john's gospel jesus and his friends and i quote 40 years ago nowhere in is the world's hatred more clearly set forth than in those many people who judge themselves to be liberal but who are most illiberal when it comes to christian absolutes they demonstrate their forbearance and light-hearted goodness when they confront diverse opinions 
varied lifestyles and even idiotic practices. But if some Christian claims that Christianity is exclusive as Jesus insisted or that moral absolutes exist because they are grounded in the character of God the Creator as the Bible teaches or that there is a hell to be shunned and as well as a heaven to be gained, the most intemperate language is used to excoriate the poor fool. The world hates. I do not need another illustration. It's been happening a very long time. The Apostle Paul, 2,000 years ago, writing to Corinthians, he says... Thanks be to God who always leads us captives in Christ's triumphal possession. Christ is the victor and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. Thanks be to God that we can share this good news everywhere of the victory of Jesus. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death. Oh, stink. Oh, that's horrible. I hate that. And to the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? It's not easy, is it? Stench of death or the aroma of life. The love vine that is in Christ, exists in the world and the world will hate the vine, those who follow Jesus, and all the vine stands for. So Jesus teaches that there is an essential division between the kingdom of God and the world, which is mutually exclusive. Going back to our passage, if, Jesus says to his disciples, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. There's a distinction. But I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. I went to the footy with some of my mates from church on Thursday night at Bankwest Stadium, the Tigers versus the uh, Bunnies. One of our number had a myrtle and teal, green and red, um, jumper. The rest of us didn't care less. We didn't support either team. But we went and sat right amongst all the die-hard Tigers fans. Like we were right there in the, 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 the kiddie house. And so those of us who were not particularly inclined to support one team or the other, we went for the underdogs, which was the Tigers, who won. And so we were just embraced by all these Tiger fans. Because every time the Tigers did something good, we all went, yay! And, and Vic was sitting there like this in his red and <laughs> yellow teal shirt. There was a distinction. They loved us because we were kind of one of their own. Come and join the Tigers. Yeah. They don't wear myrtle and teal or whatever you call it. See, we're in two different teams, two kingdoms. We're heading in different directions. We're under different orders with different allegiances. And the world hates it when we don't conform. And so in Christ, we're to both, we've got this odd complexity because we're both to hate the world 
as we love the world. Well, when we, how do you mean, what do you mean hate the world? Not the people of the world, but we hate the way of the world. James puts it this way. You adulterous people, he's critiquing Christians. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world, the way of the world, becomes an enemy of God. You're like a branch cut off from the vine if you're not abiding in love and in the love of Jesus. But God says that he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for the world. And we are to give ourselves in love for the world, to win the world, to reconcile, to bring them into the vine so that they may know God. And so this division, these two teams, it's not about you and me. It's not about us versus them. It's not about Israel Falau versus them. It's about Jesus and who he is. There's where the point of division is. It's about the Father and the Spirit, the nature of God. So Jesus says in verse 20, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. See, it's not personal. It's about Jesus. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. It's about Jesus. They will treat you this way because of my name, says Jesus. For they do not know the one who sent me. They don't know my father. This is the issue. They have both seen all these things that I've done, says Jesus, and yet they have hated both me and my father as they hate you. That's, the issue is not you. It's God. Creation. Saviour. Redemption. If the world hates the branches, it's simply because it hates the vine and it hates the gardener of the vine, to use John's analogy. And if we abide in the vine, as we're told to do by Jesus, it's guaranteed, Paul in 1 to 2 Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's a promise of scripture, standing on the promises of God. Now, many times, Christianity and churches and individual Christians and you have failed in love. We've done, Christians in the name of Jesus have done dreadful things. We've been woeful hypocrites. We've been worldly. We've been abusive. We've taken the power that we've had and used it for false ends. We have failed to love. Really, what's happened in all those situations, we've had the appearance of the vine or the mock of the vine without the life of the vine. And when that is the case, we are just branches fit to be cut off and thrown in the fire. And if that is the case, and sometimes we need these things pointed out, we need to repent, make restitution and confess our sin. No question. And it's a blessing when these things are pointed out to us, even when it hurts. Having said that, if we abide truly in the vine, in this vine of love, as a community of love under Jesus, 
the world will still hate us. And society will oppose us and they will persecute, not because we are doing anything wrong, purely because we are doing things that are just and right in that we are not conforming to the ways of this world. We are saying there's a different way, a different kingdom, a different king. And when we do that, not conform, we can expect to suffer more. Because we're not of this world and the world hates that. You don't conform. This is the way you should be thinking and living. It's happened. In the past, in the early days of the Roman Empire, it was often frequent, frequent practice to abandon children. Maybe we were poor, maybe we didn't want a girl, maybe for whatever, maybe it looks like we've got a, handicap, a disabled kid. They just abandoned it. Sometimes there were central places to abandon them, so maybe someone else would pick it up, take it away and make it a slave or a sex slave and raise it for good you know, purposes like that. This happened. This was the way society ran. Christians started picking up those children like foster care and caring for them as their own. Radical step. Not to make them slaves, but to give them family and hope and life. Do you think the world thought, wow, wonderful? No. Disruption of society. The way things are. Christians were persecuted brutally. But they kept doing it until in about 370 AD, Constantine's successor passed laws <coughs> making infanticide illegal. It took 350 years of Christian love and thousands of lives saved. Christians opposed pornography, wowzers. What's wrong with a bit of porn in your life? As you make yourself cheap and you abuse women and treat them as objects. The women's movement started largely because Christian women had a gut full of men getting drunk. And it became a temperance movement. Alcohol is bad. Now they may have pushed the swift pendulum at times too far, but the whole thing was men were getting smashed and abusing their families and spending the family money on grog and, and gambling and nobody was doing anything about it until a group of Christians said, Enough! Wowzers. Destroying the fabric of life. What's wrong with a bit of grog? What's wrong with us getting smashed? No, no, they said, no good. We're going to change this. Slavery. Christians said, this is not how you treat people made in the image of God. And uh, they had a war in America about it. And endless disruption in the UK. Oppressive colonialism will just take over these lands and kill the people and impoverish the people. It was the Christian missionaries who said no. These are people made in God's image. And you think they were a preacher? Oh, thank you, missionaries. Thank you. Good on you. Hardly. Faced resistance and persecution and rejection because they would not conform to the norms of society. But if they did, they would be rejecting Jesus as Lord. They would not be abiding in the vine. 
See, everybody loves Jesus. I know that. They hate us, but they love Jesus. Well, they love Jesus as long as Jesus is there addressing everybody else but me. Jesus was a good man. He was a healer. He exposed hypocrites. He associated with the outcast. He loves me. All of that is 100% true. But more than that, Jesus is the Word of God. He is God's revelation in human flesh. And he exposes our sin and our rebellion. And he says, come to me and I will cleanse you and save you. So the big problem with Jesus is we want him to expose everybody else but me. And when he comes to me and shines his light on me and says, you're wicked. Your heart's turned away from God. The things you do are displeasing. You go, what? How can you say that about me? We want a Jesus for everybody else but me. And that is not the Jesus who is Lord. And if you don't want to be saved, you're going to actually reject the Saviour, which is what happened to Jesus. He was crucified by men who wanted to hold on to their sense of power, by men who envied him, by men caught up in hypocrisy and self-worship. They hated the fact that Jesus kept demonstrating to people that he was Lord that he had authority over their scriptures. Right back at the start of John's Gospel. Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, the saviour of the world. Can you see they're not ultimately hating Israel Flower? And they're not hating you or me if we get resistance. They're hating Jesus for exposing their sin. So Jesus says in our passage, They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. They wouldn't have had it exposed to themselves. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen. And yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. They just hate the Son of God, the Lord. They're rebels and sinners and Jesus exposes that. And you know, we are the love vine as Christians, people in Christ. We are, to use the other phrase in the Bible, the body of Christ in the world, the churches. You and me and Jesus. We are Jesus in this world today with the Spirit in us. And as we are faithful 
we will reveal Jesus and his standards and we will shine his light into a dark world, which will be a very good thing to do. This is our calling. And as we do, as we are faithful, shining the light, we will call sin, sin. And we'll point to a saviour from sin. And we'll humbly account ourselves amongst the sinner who will know a great saviour. And what can we expect for this? Persecution and hatred. And it will not matter how gracious and loving we are. I'm not particularly here as an apologist for Israel Folau to defend him. He has probably made some mistakes in his why he's handled this publicly. But he's not a theologian. He's not a media. He's a football player who loves Jesus and wanted to tell others about Jesus. And even as I've read his public statements since, he has tried, I believe, to be loving and gracious in response, to bear no resentment and to continually point people to Jesus. He may have done that clunkily, but he's... Not a theologian. He's not probably a great wordsmith. He's just an ordinary person who plays football. And he has clearly included himself on the list that he posted on Instagram. I am one of those who needs Jesus. But what he has refused to do is recant his beliefs. To stop saying that Jesus is a saviour we all need or to stop saying that homosexual practice is sin. He has not done that and he cannot do that because the word of God, his Lord, does not give him that option. And so he is hated by the world. And we, in our context, and it will be different, we too must remain faithful, wise and sensitive and gracious and loving and humble and faithful in the world. And if we do, Jesus promises help. Verse 26, he promises disciples, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. See, everyone who is in the love vine, united with God in Christ, has been promised the Holy Spirit to come and live in us, sent by the Father. To come alongside the Advocate, to be there with us, to be our encourager, our comforter, the Spirit of truth. And so as we keep in step with the Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of truth. We don't withdraw truth in order to conform to what the world wants. Rather, we pray for boldness. And as the Spirit works in us, the Spirit will produce work, the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And so by this means, the Spirit will testify to the world of Jesus in both word and deed. And there will be power in that testimony, for it is the power of the Spirit of God in word 
and deed as we are faithful. And what can we expect as spirit-filled people in the vine? It's really important that you manage your expectations. It's a key part of contentment and satisfaction and peace in life. Manage your expectations. If you expect to get a certain thing for your birthday and you don't get it, then you're disappointed. But maybe it wasn't a reasonable expectation. If you're 65 years old and you expect to have the health and vitality of a 25-year-old, you're not going to be a happy person. You need to control and manage your expectations. This is what it's like to be 65. It's okay. What are the disciples to expect as they are filled with Jesus and they continue Jesus' mission in the world? All this I have told you, says Jesus, so that you will not fall away. I'm telling you, I'm helping you to manage your expectations. I want you to abide in the vine. They will put you out of the synagogue. This happened to the disciples. Out of the Jewish community. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. That happened to the disciples. It's been happening for 2,000 years since as people in the name of God have killed and attacked Christians. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this. I'm managing your expectations so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. I'm telling you now so that you can expect persecution. There will be rejection, there will be hostility, and Christian history testifies. Today, there are so many parts of our world where it is dangerous to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and people are being imprisoned and killed. Our call is to be filled with God's Spirit and take up our cross and follow Jesus and to expect glory in suffering. Expect glory in and joy in suffering. So how do we live in Israel's world? It's been a hard week. You know, it's been a hard week for me. I didn't like preparing this message. It's been just, I've been reading and it just gets me angry. I'm trying to suppress that irritation. I'm feeling injustice and I read what I see. This is just a lie. People are playing games. And I feel like I get implicated in this whole thing because of my convictions about Jesus and truth. And I don't think I'm a bad guy. Well, not really a bad, not like you're calling me a bad guy. I don't like being called a bad guy. I don't like being told I'm a grub, that I'm greedy, that I'm a pig, that I'm a bigot. So it winds me up. Here's what Jesus says. The end of the Beatitudes, the end of Jesus' statements of blessing in Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're in the vine. The only Beatitude that's got a second application, a second statement. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's been happening this week. 
Blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution will come. We will be hated for following Jesus and calling him Lord. Sometimes it will be severe. It will mean loss of job, loss of career, advancement, at times imprisonment, in times even death. It happens. And what to do? Well, here's my best attempts at simple application. <clears throat> we continue to live <clears throat> as faithful citizens of the kingdom, honouring the king of this nation. Live as a faithful citizen. Now, that will look very different in Pakistan to Australia. It'll look quite different in Malaysia. It'll look quite different if you're a citizen of Saudi Arabia who follows Jesus than it will in Australia. But live as a citizen, honour the king. In Australia, which is a relatively civil society under the rule of law, it is right for us to play our part in society. We shouldn't be embarrassed about having a voice, although we're told we should shut up all the time. So it's right to speak, and it's right to vote, and it's right to support those who would agree who would, who, with whom we would agree. We're just being citizens in doing that. That's part of honouring the king. Having said that, be very careful. We live for another kingdom. This world is not our world. The government of Australia is not a Christian government. Every time there's been a so-called Christian government, formally identified, it has become a worldly government, which uses the tactics and the powers of the world. And it's not Christian. <clears throat> so we don't play the same game they play. We don't fight like they fight. We don't use the weapons that they use against us. Jesus says to his followers, here's our weapons, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you because then you'll be showing that you're sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. You'll be like him. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Peter says, live such good lives amongst the pagans, the, the world, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Live such good lives amongst them that they will glorify God on the day he visits us, even though they accuse you of wrongdoing. Stick it in their face by loving them to death. And above all, we must let the Spirit testify. In the face of rejection and hate, we are to be people of love. We're to be marked by humility, which is so hard in the political sphere. Not demanding that others bend to our agenda, but simply holding out hope in Christ to a hopeless world. We're to serve and be known by service. We're to be known by those who care for the orphans to pick up on Jane again. 
and really care for the orphans. We're to be known as those who are faithful in righteousness despite the cost. We're to be those who abide in the vine, keep trusting Jesus. We're to be those who are not self-righteous, which is just pride, but marked always by gratitude, grace and mercy. That's how we fight. That's our number one calling. Yes, you're a citizen. Yes, there's a place for that. But don't let that sense of we've got to change everything. Everything's going to mud. Oh, the world's going awful. We've got to stand up. No. Abide in the vine and love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus has the victory, you see. The conquest is in hand. God is sovereign. The end of this set of section of teaching in chapter 16, before Jesus comes to his prayer in chapter 17, he says this. He says to his disciples, I've told you these things so that you may have, so that in me you may have peace. Now in this world, the vine in the world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The lamb wins, to use the language of Revelation. You and me and Jesus, conquerors, even in the face of opposition and injustice, with a peace like a river that attendeth our soul, that passes understanding and a joy that never fails. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen.